and appreciate the invitation. Always enjoy seeing familiar faces. Some of you, I see your faces from time to time, and I don't always remember your name, so please forgive me if I don't. I'm struggling with that seemingly more and more as, uh, as the years go by. I appreciate the subject that I've been given tonight. It's a very short command, a very short statement from God's holy word, and if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, you, we can read it together. It's just a few simple words, and it says this. Let love be genuine. That's the way the title was given to me. Some versions say, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, you might wonder, well, why the difference in the versions there? Which one is actually the way it's said? Actually, the Greek word is in a, a negative sense. It's just one word. But if we had such a word as unhypocritical, that's, that would be the, the best word to use. But since that's not a word in English, we either use without hypocrisy or what it means is to be genuine and to be real. And I could just have, give you a very short lesson tonight and say... Make sure your love's not fake. Make sure it's real. And that'd be pretty much it. Come as we stand and sing. But you know, where there is something real, where there's something genuine, you also know that there can be something that's fake, that is hypocritical, that is not real. I got chosen for a jury back a few years ago. Used to, I would get called up for jury duty fairly often, and they would never pick me. And I thought, it's because when they find out I'm not a preacher, they don't want me on a jury. And so when I got called up again, it was for the federal court down here in Montgomery. And so I show up saying, I'll, I'll have to spend this morning in the jury pool, and then they'll send me home. But I was the last person whose name was called for serving on this jury. And when we found out what the case was... It was, a, it was a case where the charge was selling counterfeit merchandise. And so I started learning about fancy name brand purses and accessories and things like that, things I knew absolutely nothing about. I mean, you could sell me a, a, a fake counterfeit sort of item and I would have no idea what the difference was. Um, but, you know, if, I kind of feel like if you buy your luxury brand purse in a store... At, was, at what was once Montgomery Mall, run by foreigners who keep covers on the windows at all times, and the charge was an amazingly low price, I would figure you don't be surprised to find out that what you bought was fake. And I had to listen and, and learn about this counterfeit stuff, and, and of course the people were trying to make the case, we didn't know it was fake. At the end of the, uh, the week, I had taken all kinds of notes and everything, and I was all ready for us to get the case and, and, uh, and, and discuss it. And they were already talking about making me the foreman of the jury. And then all of a sudden they said, you know, we chose two of you to be alternates. You didn't know who was alternate. Uh, Mr. Misseldine, you're the alternate, so you don't get to participate in deli deliberations. Your service is completed. Thank you and goodbye. So I didn't even get to be a part of the deliberations. But, you know, I, ha I, I, I hate... Lies. I hate counterfeit stuff. I hate, I hate it when people try to pretend that something is real when it's not. And I, I've never had to deal with anything like counterfeit bills, but I'm just wondering, some of you may own businesses or something like that, and you have, may have had 
actually dealings with uh, counterfeit money being passed your way. Has anybody in here ever had, had to deal with counterfeit money? Just curious. Okay, there's a hand, one hand. Um, somebody actually tries their best to make a $100 bill look like the real thing so they can pass it off as the real thing because there's some benefit to them for that. Do you know that people do the same thing sometimes with love? And love is not always genuine. Now, if, it's, if it is actually love, certainly it is genuine, but something that's passed off for love that's not actually real love happens all the time. Has anyone ever bought into a relationship with someone who seemed on the outside to really care about you, but then you found out that it wasn't real? There was something else they wanted, something that was in it for them, and their concern for you wasn't genuine. Maybe you thought this fellow wanted to be your friend, but all he really wanted was to get a chance to date your sister. Maybe you thought that uh, a boy really loved you, if you're a young lady, but all he wanted was the pleasure of your body and then, and then to move on. I know we had some years ago, there was a young man in our congregation that started visiting some of our older members of the church and acted as if he genuinely cared about them and just wanted to visit with them, but he was going into their bathrooms and stealing their pain medication His concern was not genuine. God knows about fake love. People try to give it to him all the time. And Jesus talked about these kind of people in Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 7. And he called them hypocrites. You know, our word that we're looking at in Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be unhypocritical. He called these people hypocrites. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Sometimes maybe you've seen that in a relationship. Maybe you thought you were being loved and and you let yourself give and care about someone else. And then all of a sudden you realized they were just pretending. There was something in it for them and their care was not genuine. Some people have so much experience with fake love that they wonder if the real thing really exists. We as Christians get the chance to show people that it really does exist, that there is such a thing as real love. And it's wonderful when you can show somebody who has been burned by the fake stuff so often that they do wonder if the real thing really is out there. And when they see somebody who does genuinely care without just the desire for something in it for them, that that love is real and you learn that love from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at a couple other passages that actually use this same Greek word and the same idea here. Uh, One is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 Here Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
you notice the word pure is in here twice? Real love is pure. Genuine love is pure. Genuine love brings obedience to the truth. When we see that Jesus is the real truth and we obey what He says to do, we purify our hearts. And that gets us ready for real love. Sincere, non-fake, unfeigned, the old King James Version says. Brotherly love. That we really do care. He says, love one another earnestly. Not just casually, Not just mildly, love each other earnestly. Some versions say fervently. Again, with that pure heart. Let's now look at James chapter 3 and verse 17. James chapter 3 and verse 17. Notice again, this idea starts out with purity. He talks about God's wisdom. The wisdom that's from above, not worldly wisdom. Not the one that comes from beneath, but wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Again, the actual Greek word is unhypocritical. It's real. It's not faked. It's genuine. Because it's the wisest thing to do. Some people don't think it's wise. They think wisdom, if you're really smart, you you get what you want and you use other people in the process, that shows that you're really smart and you can get one over on other people. No, no, no. That's worldly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God, the real wisdom, is sincere and has all of these other good things that we see. Have you ever met someone or known someone who just had a way about them of communicating sincerity and, and showed it in a genuine kind of love. And you may have doubted it at first because like, you know, people are not really that way. But over the course of time, you watched their actions. And even though it's not common, you begin to see this person really is for real. Their love really is genuine. It's not pretended I want us to meet a young man in the Bible that he's described in this way and learn from the sincerity, the genuineness of his love. And his name was Timothy. He was an associate of the Apostle Paul. He worked with the Apostle Paul. He trained him. He he helped him to, to be a leader within God's people. He sent him places to work with churches and to help churches grow. And when he's writing the letter to the church in Philippi, he's planning to send Timothy to them before too long. And I want us to look and see what he says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Here Paul writes, I hope in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. See, Paul's imprisoned in Rome at the time. And the Philippians have lost track of Paul. They didn't know where he was, didn't know what was going on. In the past, they had sent him financial contributions to his mission work. Uh, But now they finally found out that he was there. They sent one of their their folks there with a contribution uh, to him to help him while he was in prison. And Paul is sending this letter back with him to tell them thank you for that. And so he hopes to be released before too long, and he hopes to see them soon. But before then, he's going to send Timothy to them so that he can hear more news about them. He says, verse 20, listen to this. 
For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Those are some incredible words of commendation that the Apostle Paul gives to this young man, Timothy. Notice what he says about Timothy. He says, he will be concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, concern, real genuine concern, caring about other people, it takes emotional energy. Have you ever found that to be the case? The more you care about someone and the more you allow their welfare to be a part of the things that you think about, you spend a lot of emotional energy on that. It costs to care. And when you care a lot, your, your emotion get, gets used up in caring for other people. But Timothy really did care about these brethren and wanted to see them grow in the Lord. And Paul had absolute confidence in Timothy's genuine care and concern for them. And and notice it also says, I have no one like him. That hurts me a little bit to see that. Because, I mean, Paul was associated with lots of people within the church. He knew a lot of people. He had people associated with him. But there was something special about Timothy. He somehow was a cut above in the genuineness of of his love, in the depth of his care for people. I have no one like him. Even in the church, to find someone so truly sincere was a rare thing. And even in Paul's acquaintances, Timothy was special in that he sincerely cared. And notice Paul says, so many other people, they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, this idea, seeking your own interests, is the enemy of what we're talking about tonight. Seeking your own interests is the enemy of sincere, unhypocritical love. Selfishness and genuine love do not go together. Genuine genuine love looks outside of yourself and your own interests to see how other people feel and what other people need. And Timothy was obviously a very unselfish person. Maybe the problem that's preventing our genuine love is just we're too selfish. We have to get past that somehow in order to have that genuine love for others. Now, we also notice that, that Timothy had served for a long time at this point because obviously he knew that the Philippians knew who Timothy was. They were familiar with him. He had a great reputation People who knew Timothy knew that this was the case, and so he had served long enough to prove himself to be genuine. Now, you can, a person who's a hypocrite, someone whose love is not genuine, you can fool somebody for a while, but eventually it's going to come back around that it's not real. Something's going to happen to show, no, this, this love is not genuine. It's not real. 
But Timothy had had long enough for him to prove himself, that he had their best interest at heart and that he was real. I want us to ask ourselves, how has he become this kind of person? What kind of influences has he had in his life to bring him to this point? There's another passage I think makes a big difference in helping us to to get a handle on how Timothy has become this kind of person that has such a real, genuine love. And let's now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy when he was away from him. And he's writing to him and, and saying good things about him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, he writes this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. See, I truly believe that before Timothy had a sincere love, he had a sincere faith. Because if you come to truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you see the kind of person that he was, and you see what he taught, and you see what he did, and you decide, I will be a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what leads you to a genuine love. But where had that genuine faith Started. We'll continue reading. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy had had the, the opportunity to see examples of sincere faith and sincere love lived before him in his life, in his family. He had a good grandmother that had a strong faith. It obviously taught her daughter. And Timothy's mother had a a good, strong faith that he was able to see in her. And Paul says, that faith that you have, it started back there. Now, we, we can't have faith for our children, but the example of faith that we show, the teaching that we give goes such a long way in them deciding to choose to have that faith of their own. And in that sense, we can say that that faith began with grandma, passed down to mama, and now is in him as well. If you have had the wonderful privilege of having examples of sincere and genuine love in your life, you are so incredibly blessed. Because people who have grown up in families where their parents, their faith was not genuine, they may have said they believed things, they may have even taken their children to church, but when they went home, life was not anything like what the the preacher at church said and read from the Bible that it was supposed to be. It just did not match at all. Now, there's no perfect families. there's, There's no perfect people. But you can tell when something is sincere and when it's genuine. And... I will tell you, I was one of the ones who was blessed to have a sincere faith in my family. And it did start in my grandmother and in my grandfather, who passed it down to my dad. My dad had a very strong faith. Now, I I did get to know his mother, and that's the only grandparent I really got to know because my grandfathers had both died before I was born. My my other grandmother died when I was uh, very young, and so just barely have a little remembrance of her. But I saw enough of my dad's mother to see she loved God. And spiritual things were a tremendous priority in her life. 
And I saw my dad. Now, my dad was a preacher. You might think, okay, well, you're, you're, your dad's a preacher, then you're going to see those things. I've talked to some preacher's kids, brothers and sisters, and I, have, I know that there are some preacher's families who may, they may be all about church, 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 but, but when they go home, sometimes they don't, they, they don't focus on God and they don't see those same things being lived out in their families. I've heard that from some preacher's kids. That was not the case for me because I sat and listened to my dad preach. When, when we go to, to church assemblies, my dad was the preacher. I, we heard from some other preachers on different occasions, but the majority of, of the, the preaching that I heard when I went to church assemblies was my father. But I also lived with him. I saw the way he acted from day to day. And was he a perfect man? No, he was not a perfect man. But boy, I knew enough to be able to see this man loves God. His faith is genuine. Because we talked about God at home. We talked about spiritual things at home. We read the Bible together as a family. He would look for those teachable moments to try to take things of day-to-day life and, and help me understand spiritual principles and about God he did just like, like God told the, uh, the children of Israel to do back in Deuteronomy 6 where, where He said, you know, teach them diligently to your children when, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. My, my dad did that. My mom did too. And I saw sincere, genuine love for people. My dad did not ever go to formal schooling. He dropped out of of school when he was in the seventh grade to pick cotton on the farm in the Depression, like a lot of kids did back then. And the way he wound up beginning to become a preacher, this is a story in and of itself, I won't take the time to, to tell you all of that. But my dad was very humble even about being given the opportunity to be a gospel preacher. He was not an uneducated man. He was a self-educated man. And he wanted to know the Word of God. And he studied diligently. I, 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 there's many times I wish he was still around that I could ask him his, his opinion or, or his understanding of, of, of Bible questions that I have. But he was very humble about even being given the chance to be a preacher within the Lord's church. And he loved the church. Were there problems in the church? Sometimes, sure. And I, I could see those and I could see him agonizing about those things. But he loved the church. And he instilled in me that, son, you need to love the church. The church is God's wonderful blessing. He had a love for lost souls. I could see that he genuinely cared about people. Now, he never preached for a a big, large congregation of any kind. But I tell you, the people that he touched and that he and my mother as a ministry team together touched, they touched them deeply. Because people could see in them a genuine sincere, unhypocritical love. And the teaching that my dad did from the pulpit was reinforced because he was there for people when they needed him. And they could see that he genuinely cared. And it multiplied the effectiveness of his preaching. He loved the lost. And I I can remember times he would come home in tears, literally in tears, telling us about somebody that he was studying with that he felt like they were so close to obeying the gospel and and they didn't do it. And he was so conscientious. There was 
one time when he received a contact from the Herald of Truth programs, a radio program that, that went out over all kinds of radio stations, and he received an address that somebody had written in for materials and with questions, and they were asking if Dad could follow up on that person. Well, Dad takes the address. It's actually not in our town. It's in a, an old town a little further away. And he had a hard time finding the address. And then the first time he went out looking for it, he looked and looked and looked, could not find the address, came home without having found it. Because he had a genuine love for people, he couldn't just drop it. It kept eating away at him. He said, I can't just give up. I've got to go back and try to find it again. And so he went back again. And this time he found the address at the end of a dirt road. I mean, at the end of this road, there's a, like a, a dirt trail going back into the woods. And there's this little 70, 79-year-old lady who lives there alone, still cooks on a wood stove, chops her wood for her wood stove. She doesn't have a television, but she has a radio, and that's where she's heard the Herald of Truth program. And he began to teach this elderly lady named Virgie Ellison. She became Christian. She was the oldest person that my dad ever baptized at age 79, almost age 80. And she was so thrilled about finding the truth. She had been seeking the truth. And my dad was so excited about reaching this lady. She was poor. She would not have been considered valuable by the world. But because he had a pure and sincere faith and the Lord had shaped his faith and his heart, he loved this little old lady. And not too long after that, she passed away. A few years later, my dad came down with cancer. I'll never forget my dad talking one day about imagining what death was going to be like. He said, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. Somehow in my mind, I, I see a light and I, and I see a hand reaching out for me. He said, I'm, I'm not worthy for that to be the Lord's hand. I'd be thrilled if that was just the hand of little old sister Virgie Ellison. I was blessed to see a real, genuine, sincere love because it issues from a pure heart. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, another letter, the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A sincere faith that truly trusts in God and His Word is going to result in a heart that sincerely loves people. Because if you believe what Jesus said, you're going to care about the people that He loves. In John chapter 21, we see the, the scene with Jesus and the Apostle Peter by the, the Sea of Galilee after the big catch of fish. And Jesus begins asking him a question. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What was Jesus' response? He said, feed my sheep. He said it twice more. And in various ways, Jesus responded when Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Basically what Jesus says, if you want to show me that you love me, if your love for me is genuine and sincere, guess what? You're going to love who I love, my people. And I need you, Peter, to feed my sheep. Take care of my people. That's what shows a sincere love. I want us to look at something else that's said about Timothy that I think helps us realize how genuine his love for people was and for the work of the gospel. Turn back to Acts chapter 16 when we first meet Timothy. Acts chapter 16, begin with verse 1. The Bible tells us, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul's impressed with Timothy, so impressed, he says, I want to take this young man on the mission with me. I believe I can use him in a tremendous way in the mission work of getting the gospel out. And I imagine when he talks to Timothy and and offers him, says, I want you to come with me. And I can imagine as Timothy's excited and thrilled and maybe he's a little nervous, he says, yes, yes, it's a great opportunity. But then, imagine the conversation when Paul looks at Timothy and says, "Um, Timothy, there's something else I think you need to do. You want me to do what? Now, Timothy was familiar with the whole thing about circumcision. His mother was a Jew, even though his father was a Greek, and he, he was familiar with that, but he had just never been circumcised. Don't know all the reasons why that would have been the case. And circumcision was no longer required. They just had the big deal in Acts chapter 15 in the previous chapter to make it clear that these Gentiles that are becoming Christians, they don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's not the way that we're saved. We're all saved through faith in Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed on the cross. That's what gets us right with God. Circumcision is no longer necessary. And you can read the writings of the Apostle Paul, and that was a controversy sometimes. And the the answer was, no, that's not required. So it wasn't required for Timothy to be right with God. Why would he do that? It says, because of the Jews who were in that place, because they all knew his father was a Greek, but they knew that he was a Jew, he would not have the influence that he could have on people for the gospel with this being a hindrance in their mind. Though it was not a necessary hindrance, it shouldn't have been a hindrance, but it was. And so Paul says to Timothy, obviously you're going to be more effective in the gospel if you're circumcised. Paul did it. And Timothy endured that without modern anesthesia. He had to have a pretty big reason for being willing to go through that. I suggest to you that he cared so genuinely. He loved the people so much. And the idea of of him being the most effective with the most people was worth him making a sacrifice that that he did not have to make. It's in moments when we sacrifice something that we're not required to do because we genuinely care for others that we see that our love is real.
if Timothy gave up something that he didn't have to do to the extent of being circumcised, could you do something as simple as to give up a flag? Today, I talked to a black lady that I baptized about a year ago, and I asked her the question, when you first met me, if I had a Confederate flag draped across the back of my car or a big decal on my window, would it have affected how you responded to what I had to teach you about Jesus? Here's what she said. She said, I think if I had already met you and seen your heart, probably not. But if that had been my first impression, I would have never agreed to study with you. Now, I know a lot of people feel very strongly about the Confederate flag. And to a lot of people, it does not imply racism. It does not imply slavery or hate in any way. But I'm telling you, to some people, it does. And I know of some Christian people who have treasured the Confederate flag as part of their heritage who have recently made the choice to no longer display it. Not because of some law that forbids them to, or even that the Bible tells them not to, but because they don't want their influence for the Lord to be damaged with people that they might reach. And also, as not to bring pain to other brothers and sisters in Christ whose experience with that symbol is something very different and very painful. And I'd like to suggest to you that that choice is evidence of a very genuine love. But the greatest example of genuine love is not Timothy. It's not my father or those who may have chosen to put away a Confederate flag. It's Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and let's see what Jesus gave up even though he did not have to. Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus did not have to go to the cross. He did not have to give up his place of of equality with God and empty himself and take on human form and come to this earth in a lowly fashion, the form of a servant He did not have to allow people to spit on him and abuse him and strike him and and say things about him that were false and lies and call him a blasphemer and and, and lash him with with whips and nail him to a cross and and leave him up there until he died. He did not have to, to take upon himself the guilt of my sins and suffer for me and die for me and be buried in the tomb, and be raised again. But he did it. He gave because of genuine love. I ask you tonight, is your love real? 
Have you seen real, genuine, unhypocritical love in people in your life? Have you seen it in Jesus? Learn from Him. Learn from them. Does it cost to love? Yes. But Jesus says it's worth the price you pay. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to forgive us of our selfishness in moments when our love is not real. We pray that you will work on us and continue to help us to look at Jesus Christ and his love and his sacrifice and what he gave and what he gave up and the way he humbled himself when he didn't have to because he genuinely cared. Father, we thank you for examples of people like Timothy and the genuine love that he had, the genuine care and concern he had for for people that people could see was real. Father, we thank you for the people that you've allowed us to have in our lives that have shown us examples of genuine love and help us to learn from that. And Father, we pray that our love will grow, that our selfishness will decrease, and our, our servant heart will increase, and that people can see as they look at our lives that our love is genuine. Thank you for showing us the example of genuine love in in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we bring you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.